0: I'm London Lope. The Rent Guidelines Board is meeting today to vote on rent hikes for a million rent-stabilized New York City apartments. At today's meeting, the board will set a range of potential rent hikes. And sometime next month, it will take a final vote that will determine rent increases for leases in the year that begins October 1st. The issues involved are quite complicated, so we've asked Alta Gracia Pierre Outerbridge to join us today. She's the founder and owner of the law firm Outerbridge Law PC, and her practice is focused on landlord-tenant litigation and transactional matters. Welcome to our show.
1: Thank you, Leonard. Thank you for having me.
0: Haven't you served as both the landlord's attorney and a tenant's attorney? Aren't landlords and tenants generally at odds with each other?
1: Very much so, and I believe that I am one of the um, few people who has done that at a, I, I think, at a high level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it good to represent both sides and get to know the perspectives of both sides um, in a very adversarial, um, in very adversarial proceedings.
0: So, as a landlord's attorney, you protect the landlord's property rights, and as a tenant's attorney, you defend against unnecessary evictions.
1: Correct. Uh, as well, in, in terms of tenants, I, we make sure that their apartments are livable, that they they meet the warranty of habitability, right? That whatever services they contracted for, they are receiving, that they are not being overcharged. So there's a whole slew of um, other um, parts to um, being a tenant's attorney.
0: According to New York City renter statistics and trends, there were over three billion occupied housing units in New York City and a little over two third are rented. The rest obviously owned. So um, at last week's five-hour meeting, didn't tenants and landlords plead their cases to the nine-member Rent Guidelines Board? Uh, tenants wanting a rent freeze and landlords wanting the highest increase in years?
1: That's correct. Um, the board, um, the landlords are really asking for an 8% increase on one-year leases, right, in a 15.75% uh, percent increase on two-year leases. The tenant side has <laughs> usually wants an absolute rent freeze, right? So that's where we are at two polar opposites as usual.
0: Didn't the Rent Guidelines Board discuss rent increases of 15 and three quarter percent on two-year leases, the highest amount in two decades?
1: That's correct. I don't see that passing. And the mayor has also stated that it it will be nowhere near that. The highest I've really seen is 7 percent. And that was years ago. So I don't see that at all passing. But certainly it won't be um, a rent freeze.
0: Well, last year, the board, in its first vote under Mayor Eric Adams, allowed the largest increases in almost a decade by raising rents by three and a quarter percent for one-year leases, five percent for two-year leases. Isn't that a big change from the de Blasio years when the mayor, that mayor, successfully urged the board to deliver rent freezes in three of his eight years in office?
1: Absolutely. And we're seeing, you're right, Leonard, we're seeing a reversal of that, especially at the wake of um, uh, landlords um, believing that they, landlords not um, getting rent during COVID, right? And people believing, and landlords believing that they have, um, they have higher operating costs. So we are in an administration that likely will deliver rent increases, and certainly it would not be a rent freeze.
0: Well, landlords are aren't facing the kinds of hardships that tenant leaders say they are high rents and utility costs forcing them out of their homes are landlords uh, facing big problems
1: well <laughs> this is where my hat my advocate had right of uh, thoughts down the middle right? right and i right. have
0: Okay. Uh, I
1: have trouble, I'll, yeah.
0: I'll give you a pass on that one. Since <laughs> New York City's roughly one million rent-stabilized apartments are considered a crucial source of affordable housing, aren't they supposed to be insulated from the market forces that have sent rents in unregulated apartments very high?
1: Uh, Not necessarily, right? Insulated in that uh, there is a rental um, increase that is uh, promulgated by the board, right? That it's not, um, we're seeing 50% increases, so that won't be that. And it's not varying by apartment to apartment, the increase. In that way, it's, it's regulated, right? Because the increase can only go up by what the RGB board decides, as opposed to market rate apartments where we are seeing 25 30 40 50% increases um we're getting calls daily with people um tenants saying they're being offered renewal leases at 40 50% increases so that in that way rent stabilized apartments are insulated
0: who sits on the rent guidelines board the, the, who are mm-hmm. the nine members
1: uh so they are landlord and tenant advocates to make sure that the um that it's a fair vote, right? So both sides state their claim, right? Um, community groups come um, testify, right? Folks who are um, stakeholders testify, but both sides have representative, representatives on the board. Some tenants attorneys on the board, right? Community leaders, um, members of the Rent Stabilization Association, which represents landlords on the board. Um, so it's really both sides trying to come to terms.
0: And what is the final vote? Uh, in which the board will determine rent increases for leases in the year that begins October 1st to take place?
1: I believe it's next month, if not in July. I believe um, it's next month, although I wouldn't. um, I believe it's next month.
0: So very soon.
1: Very soon, yes.
0: And isn't the vote this year particularly crucial because tenant leaders, landlords, elected officials, and policy advocates all agree that the city is in a housing crisis?
1: Absolutely. And the vote is next Tuesday. Um, Hmm. We are in a housing crisis as a tenant and landlord attorney. We've always been in a housing crisis. Right. Um, I haven't ever practiced in a time that there was no housing crisis. Um, So these discussions have been happening for a very long time. And there's really been no real long term resolution to the crisis.
0: Well, hasn't the board's research this year revealed that 30 percent of tenants are spending more than half of their income on rent and, and the majority are considered rent burdened or spending a third of their earnings or more on housing costs?
1: Yes, um, unfortunately, um, as far as I can remember it, that has really been the case for most New Yorkers. It is absolutely getting worse. But um Rent burden has been a problem in New York City for as long as I um, – so, yes, it's getting worse. Homelessness is getting worse. Um, and we definitely need a, long, a long-term solution.
0: And ha- it hasn't it been seen as a, as a serious problem also for the elderly? And uh, don't housing costs disproportionately affect black, Latino, and Asian people? Because uh, there's been an exodus of 200,000 black families from the city over the last decade.
1: Well, I'll tell you that um, you're correct. That actually happens um, if you walk the halls of the housing courts in um, the five boroughs. You'll see exactly that. You'll see black and brown people um, really overrepresented in the folks that are in court waiting for their cases to be heard, um, looking to stop their eviction, looking to present um, post-eviction, looking for post-eviction relief to be restored to their apartments. So that has that has very much been the case. I think the pandemic equalized, right? Um, if I can use that word, although it's probably not the right word, um, when folks lost their um, jobs in the pandemic, it became a um, a little bit more um, of folks from different backgrounds, right? Um, however, um, the housing court has often been seen as uh, over. And over-representation evictions usually overly affect black and brown people, mm-hmm. usually women, mothers, um, single parents.
0: Well, didn't one testimonial call for not just a rent freeze, but a reduction? Chinatown Tenants Union Representative Chen Renping, who's 65, lives in a rent-stabilized apartment in he says he pays one thousand five hundred fifty-two dollars and thirty-six cents a month, more than double his retirement income of seven hundred ninety-four dollars.
1: Um, absolutely. Um, so what do we are, do for
0: people like that? hmm
1: So there are certain um, there are certain ways to um, freeze the rent. Um, senior citizens may apply for rent. Um, for a what we call SCRE, Senior Citizen Rent Increase Exemption, right? If they meet um, the qualifications, um, they can actually go to an HRA center or senior center and actually go ahead and apply for at least the rent to be frozen going forward. There are also subsidies that may that may help them, but the main um, relief that I've seen for senior citizens is actually freezing the rent.
0: Does it vary from borough to borough? Because uh, I've uh, read that Manhattan rental prices just cracked a new ceiling, hitting a record medium of $4,175 a month in March.
1: Uh, I don't believe that it goes from borough to borough, Leonard. I believe it's really based on income, right? Um, But I wouldn't... (laughs) Um, the the best way to find out is to really submit an application to the Department of Fi- the New York City Department of Finance. The application is online. You actually get called in at different times to. Um, well, at least before the pandemic, you were called into a meeting, right, where your application's reviewed. And if the um, if the increase is granted, right, the freeze, the rent freeze, the senior citizen rent freeze is granted, then you are you are not going to be charged further rent increases.
0: Now, Michael Tobman, the membership director for the Rent Stabilization Association, a group of 25,000 landlords who own more than a million apartments, uh, disagrees with the notion of an eviction crisis, crisis looming. He points to all of the operating costs that owners must shoulder due to 24 government regulations, including the Climate Mobilization Act, which will require many buildings to install energy efficiency measures.
1: Well, I think um, landlords operating costs will continue to increase. There is inflation, right That is going to always continue to increase. I think ultimately the house there was, there will there has always been a house in crisis. Operating costs, I don't believe has, has really gone down. I think um, what I've always advocated at least at different uh, media interviews is some um, a more widespread subsidy for renters in New York City. That's not solely for um, tenants who receive public assistance, but really more widespread, um, more widespread subsidy, number one, and more affordable housing build built for um, people of the, you know, middle, lower, lower um, income. Right. And it's not really solely um, NYCHA or Section 8 subsidies, but more subsidies because. Um, I have not met a New Yorker, really, who was not when um, most New Yorkers are when burdened. So it looks to me that the solution is not in both sides fighting. Right. As to and this is my double advocate that had going back on as to what is the increase, what is I don't think that's going to resolve it. It's, um, it's creating more acrimony from both sides. Right. It really needs to be some type of intervention. Um, just as happened in the pandemic when rents were paid um, by, you know, the state, the city and the federal government, right, in what we call ERAP, Emergency Rental Assistance. And that really relieved the tension between both sides in that landlords were paid should the tenant have qualified for the ERAP funds.
0: But is intervention likely? Isn't the state emergency rental assistance program, which is paid out, $2.3 $2.3 billion to the landlords and help tenants endure heavy rent burdens, no longer taking applications?
1: That's correct. They're no longer taking applications. Um, and the portal closed as of January. What I, I think, and again, I'm not a policy expert, but very much in the litigation, in the trenches every single day, right, for the last 15 years. Um, And we we hear from both sides every single day as to what both sides are enduring. Um, I believe that ERAP, to the extent that folks believe it worked, was an idea that reduced tension. So while that program has ended, I believe that it should continue in some some capacity um, in order to continue helping people pay the rent. Because um, a lot of New Yorkers did not benefit from it when they should have. Folks didn't know about it. And we still have clients that still have the pandemic debt on their shoulders, tenant clients.
0: My guest on today's Lended Low-Paid-At-Large is Alta Gracia Pierre Outerbridge, founder and owner of New York City-based law firm Outerbridge Law PC. Her practice is focused on landlord-tenant litigation and transactional matters. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM mm-hmm. and streaming live at WBAI.org. You mentioned some uh, changes in uh, some of the rules recently. How will the ban on natural gas stoves in new construction buildings affect landlords' attendance in New York?
1: Um, well, what we know is that landlords will have to reduce emission by certain percentages at different um, at different timelines. Um, that means more operating costs. That means. Um, gas or stove ovens, right? Making sure that those any appliances that give emissions are removed. So we're looking at new construction and existing buildings having to do construction, which means that um, landlords have to pass inspection, they have to install new appliances, or um, if I can get deep into um, talking to landlords, right? Um, open walls and really do work that's extensive that they would rather not do. Right. Mm-hmm. What will also happen is that the buildings that meet the qualifications will be more marketable to tenants um, who are looking right who or um, climate um, conscious. Right. So buildings that are not doing the work will be found right to be less um, desirable. So landlords will really have no choice but to engage in the process. Right. Um, so that means more costs that they likely will be passing along to um Looks to me not quite there, rent stabilized or rent control. Well, rent control, yes, but the market rate tenant will be hit with those costs, and we are going to be looking at further polarization between the two sides. Well, what
0: are the potential challenges landlords may face in transitioning from fuel stoves to electric stoves?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, number one is. Um, if I do the nitty-gritty of landlord-tenant, right, it's really access to do the work, right? What we know, and I mean, the challenges are, are many. I don't think I can name all of them, but one of, whenever there's construction, you have issues with access, right? Hmm. Access to work inside the walls, access to each apartment. And tenants and usually- will be
0: impacted by that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Opening so they're going homes- to lose
0: their heating for a
1: time? Well, I'm not sure about that, right? That's where the engineering, uh, the architect engineering part comes. I'm not sure. I would imagine, right, that there would be a transition. My hope would be that it would be done in a time that would not affect tenants so much. Um, But, yes, I would imagine that.
0: Are there any exemptions to the proposed law banning natural gas stoves?
1: Uh, I'm not, that I'm not sure of, Leonard. Uh,
0: Because... uh, (laughs) I, I, I've heard that there are, but mm-hmm. uh, but it's unclear why they were included. Um, can you please explain what Local Law 97 is?
1: Sure. So Local Law 97 is exactly what we've been discussing, right? It's really saying that by certain timelines, um, by at least uh, large buildings, right, existing buildings and new constructions have to meet certain emission rates, uh, by 2020 right
0: Wait, uh, oh, we, we talk in- about all the buildings in other words uh a, a three story building and a 20 story building and a 50 story building
1: um so I would um it looks to me that um that it's all existing buildings right mm. that they have to meet um that they have to meet these qualifications that's what it looks to me um in terms of what um, buildings have to – if you – if there's always exemptions in terms of how – but buildings would have to apply for the exemption. I Whether or not there's an exemption in the law, the, the landlord can always apply, saying that there's a hardship. But as I see it now, I'm not sure about whether there's an exemption or not.
0: What are the potential negative consequences for landlords in terms of the costs associated – with complying with Local Law 97?
1: Well, the negative consequences are clearly cost, right? And as I stated, I think um, buildings will be seen as less marketable. So if I'm a tenant, right, and I'm climate friendly, right, I am looking for a building that has met these qualifications. So ultimately the buildings will be left behind. The landlords that choose not, that don't comply right, and will be forced to comply, will be left behind and have less marketable buildings.
0: What are the potential benefits of the White House Renters Bill of Rights for Tenants and Landlords?
1: Well, that's a great point that I've talked about many, many a times, right? Um, the White House Bill of Rights for Tenants is actually, at least in New York City and New York State, we already have a lot of what the White House is um proposing at the federal level
0: it's just proposing the, right? it so Correct. there's a possibility it won't be enacted
1: and even if it's enacted does it have any teeth right what mm-hmm. is the what is the enforcement where is the enforcement to say that tenants have the right to habitable housing that they have a right to on uh, not being right to not to receive certain to not be uh, harassed right what are the re- so the, what are the real enforcement mechanisms? What I've what I've seen as criticisms of the White House Bill of Rights is that it really doesn't have any, any teeth at all. The good news, however, is that in New York, at least, in New York, we already have a lot of what it's proposing. We already have the right to counsel, right? Mm-hmm. We already have the right to counsel. We already have the warranty of habitability. We already have a lot of what it's proposing. New York being a very renter-friendly, if I can say renter-friendly without uh, frustrating some of our clients, right? Um, renter-friendly place, and we already have a lot of that. I think New York is very forward in terms of its thinking, right? Well, affordable housing is another issue, but in terms of tenants' rights and actually procedure, we are very much forward and, and already have a lot of what the White House Bill of Rights is proposing.
0: Although I'm sure many tenants don't even realize that they have a right to counsel.
1: Well, <laughs> um, of course, yeah, that's
0: where I'm you sure. come in. What? what are the, sure that, go, ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead.
1: I'm sure that many don't, all, because um, what we found in the pandemic is that folks did not have folks did not have internet as we thought they did right folks did not have reliable wi-fi folks right so the pandemic exposed a lot of the inequities between landlord and tenants and between tenants right the different the different levels of access that tenants had during the pandemic to information right elderly tenants um tenants who don't speak english right um so i was even though i've been practicing for a very long time and i've what I tell people is I only I only know landlord-tenant. This is what I've been trained in from day one of my practicing law. I was shocked as to what people didn't know um, because a lot of the information, at least about ERAP and tenant protection during COVID was disseminated uh, via the internet, right? Because people could not talk to each other or be in close proximity. Um, people didn't know a lot that we thought they knew. What I'll say is this, the right to counsel has done a very, and I, I once was a legal aid attorney under the right to counsel, when the right to counsel came out, um, is that the attorneys do an excellent job, right? And the, um, the advocates do an excellent job once you walk into the courthouse, right? To really flag that this is a program that you need to be a part of, that they are available. So what will happen is, if a tenant is in housing court and appears before a judge, the first time, the second time, the third time, maybe the judge will like you know, the court attorney will say, Hey, do you know that you have the right to an attorney? That's really the mm-hmm. script. Um, it really never, um, that they did. I've never seen, I haven't seen any, um, the court staff not say that, at least in the first court appearance. Um, in fact, they actually take your information right then and there under Zoom or in court and say, What's your phone number? What's your email? So they can contact you. So, It's very hard for a tenant, now that we can move around freely, right, Um, after the COVID restrictions have um, been uh, mostly lifted, it's very hard for a tenant to not know that they have a right to counsel because they will be told um, right in court in their language that they have a right to an attorney. Now, what's happening is the attorneys are overwhelmed. The system is overwhelmed because of the backlog in cases that has now has or is continuing to make its way to the court system. So um, what happens in the in a few boroughs, in, in the boroughs, is that although the tenant is told that they have the right to an attorney, um, sometimes the tenant would like to settle the case due to um, feeling unsettled. They would like to settle the case right then and there, so they choose to proceed without the attorney. Or the tenant is given a Save court date money. of that again Mm.
0: saves you money to not have to hire an attorney
1: well the right to counsel is Mm. free of charge okay um so what happens is um at least at some point the attorneys could not take cases so although the right to counsel is still on the books um i have myself gone to court and represented many landlords where the tenant could not get counsel because they couldn't Mm. um the attorneys could not take any more cases, so that is a complaint that the right to counsel in New York City, uh, although it's there, since the pandemic, it has not been fully implementable because they are, um, there's a dearth of attorneys who can take these cases.
0: What are the rules and regulations surrounding security deposits, and how can landlords and tenants avoid disputes about those sorts of things?
1: Well, I'll tell you that in in small claims court, (laughs) a Mm -hmm. sizable portion of these cases are about security deposits. What can you do? The law is very clear, and I tell people that it's a shall. It's not a may, it's a shall. means you must do it, right? The landlord must conduct an inspection no less than seven days prior to the tenant vacating. First, the tenant gives notice. The law is very clear about timeline. First, the tenant gives notice saying, I'm going to leave on this date. Then... Uh, the landlord is to, if the tenant requests an inspection, the landlord to set an inspection, right? A pre vacate date inspection, no less than seven days. At that inspection, the landlord is to um, confer with the tenant, right? Um, the tenant is allowed, is permitted to be there the, um, together. Really, they confer and, and discuss what is remiss in the apartment and what needs fixing so that the security is not deducted from. Um, and then there is a surrender. At the surrender, um, the keys are given, the receipts, um, the keys are given, the receipts are given within 14 days thereafter, after that surrender, right? The landlord is to submit an itemized statement stating what it is deducting from the security. If the landlord misses that 14-day mark, it's an absolute deadline. The landlord is to refund the security without any deductions and seek to So it's not, and most people um, believe that it's 14 days, therefore I'm off the hook, Mm -hmm. right? I don't have to pay for the damage that I've done. And it's not that, right? And we've done, (laughs) it's not that. It's that the landlord cannot automatically deduct from the security. The landlord has to bring their own case for Mm -hmm. damages, right? So if you go to small claims court right now in any borough, I would say, who. 20% of the cases are about securities in the 14-day deadline. And it's very much the most absolute statute that I've I've ever seen. So what I would tell landlords is um, once the tenant tells you they are vacating, really schedule that inspection so that you don't have a dispute at the end. You can say the stove door was broken. I need you to paint this back. Really the things that you need to um, fix to your satisfaction so that there's no there is no dispute afterwards. And go to the end inspection, um, confer again at the inspection, the, the surrender and the surrender date. And return the security and then itemized statement within 14 days of any deductions. We have landlords call us on day 10 and say, I, is it really four days? Yes, it's four days, it's only 14 days. So the landlord really has a lot of work and I've seen landlords complain that the 14 day deadline is not enough. Right. In order to get folks to um, give real statements as to um, meaning contractors, right, painters um, to give a real statement as to what it will cost to get their services um, to restore the apartment. So landlords have to work very fast in order to get to meet that 14 day deadline. Um, I would say 50 percent, 50 percent of those landlords don't meet it. So then you end up in, in small claims court on, on, on this claim. What are
0: the rules and regulations regarding subletting and what are the risks and benefits for both landlords and tenants?
1: Wow. Okay, that's a huge one. So um, so subletting has probably resulted in some of the most acrimonious cases that I have personally handled. Um, what happens is most tenants sublet without permission. Right. What are the rules? So subletting, most leases will say that you sublet with permission. Right. That means you need written permission from the landlord to sublet. Most tenants will get into a situation where a lot during COVID, where they sublet it without permission. And now the person refuses to vacate. Right. So now the landlord, the the old, we call it the overtenant, the overtenant now has to commence a case as if they are the landlord in order to evict the tenant right? So the main rule is get it in writing if you're subletting with the landlord's permission. Uh, the other rule is know that you as the over-tenant who now has become the landlord continues to be responsible for all for the rent in the apartment whether or not your subletter pays. Often um, what happens when you sublet is the landlord has to send a notice to cure saying you have sublet without permission. I need you to cure it. Um Usually a seven day notice to cure. Um, sorry, a 10 day notice to cure. And usually within that 10 days, no one ever leave. The subtenant will not leave because no one can really leave in 10 days. So then you are dragged into court after your mm. seven day termination notice. Right. And then the, so it's, it's a fiasco. It's, it's often if, if I'm involved, it's usually a fiasco as to how do we get the subtenant to vacate. How do we get the subtenant to vacate? Mm-hmm. Um, the subtenant now owes 20, 30, 40, 50 K. And the tenant is finding it unfair <laughs>
2: that
1: they are, that they are still held responsible because they, they feel they super saw The person I spoke to the landlord, you know, on the phone about it, the person has paid the landlord sometimes and it, it wasn't surreptitious in by any means. So how am I still responsible for this? And, why am I all of a sudden the landlord? I'm not a landlord, right? So um, that's where the fiasco usually begins and usually takes, um, what I'll say, at least a year to, um, to clear up the fiasco. Ultimately, when the subtenant ends up leaving, the overtenant usually is saddled with debt, with rent debt, and it's usually their eviction followed. So it's a very, very precarious situation to sublet.
0: Because this um, situation is of something of major concern to many of our listeners, we're inviting our listeners to join the discussion. They can call us at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Lodge on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. And our guest is Altagracia Pierre Outerbridge, the founder and owner of the New York City-based law firm Outerbridge Law PC. And uh, we are inviting you to call us at 212 209 Should we take a call? Okay. Bai, you're on the air. Yes. Hello. First
3: of all, for having, thank you for having this program. It's very important to uh, the tenants and the dwellers in the city. Um, To your guest, you indicated that the hearing is transpiring is transpiring currently. Where exactly? Because I do intend to shoot out that way.
1: So I'm happy to send that information to Leonard, but if you look, there are public notices. If you look up RGB, Rent Guidelines Board's hearing on uh, Google, there are public notices that tell you where to go. What I'm guessing is that it's at City Hall, but I can be wrong. Uh, I'm happy to send that info to Leonard. I'm sorry? So it's RGB.org? Rent Guidelines, Rent, R-E-N-T, Guidelines with an S board. All right, meetings
3: I should I'm be sorry. able to obtain the information. I understand completely. The, just very quickly, a second question. Because I know there's a lot of people who want to call. You indicated that um, on an average that um, for rent control buildings, the uh, rent hike should be 3% for one year and 5% for two years. If a uh, landlord has indicated 5% for one year and people have signed, let's say, within a month's period, can we uh, challenge that and get that corrected uh, instead of one year? Absolutely. Five? Excellent. All right, then I'll be doing that as well. Thank you so much, Leonard, and thank you so much, uh, Miss. I appreciate
2: sure. it. Sure. Yes, thank you.
0: We call, and we go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh,
2: yes. My name is Mrs. Nelson, and I'm calling because I think there's a—I a, think landlord receive a terrible, 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 terrible reputation, not— It may be that the larger landlords are doing the wrong thing, but small landlords are not. I am one. I want to say that just like the average renter in New York, landlords, when we have a repair to make, uh, we receive the higher cost because not the plumbers, the electricians, and and even the uh, utilities are going up on us. And therefore, we are experiencing the same thing that, this, the, the renters are experiencing. When we go to buy food, we have to pay the high cost of food, the increase inflation, just like everyone else. It's not that we're making uh, money, uh, hand over fist at millions of dollars. It's it's generational what we're trying to hold on as best we can to to share so that we sacrifice a lot just so that we can have something to leave for our, our children uh, so that they can have something uh, we worked hard for, and so I think that is uh, totally unfair. And um, there are help. There's help for all of those who really need it, like the lady just spoke of, scree, dre, you name it. They can even receive free lawyer, uh, legal help. Uh, landlords can't. We don't have any of those benefits that you that the people and uh we are uh, we don't even have a choice if someone goes to an agency and says uh i'm i'm i am uh entitled to dre or scree or whatever the landlord has to do it we have to take it Aunt we Aunt Gracia? No
1: but we but, but first
0: <laughs> go ahead Aunt <laughs> Aunt Aunt Aunt.
1: Aunt. oh well i have not. i am I'm, I'm actually very much impressed and i i think that's the sentiment that um it's very well expressed right um that's a sentiment that we get from small landlords. So I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I want to hear more because this is what we hear every day from two, three family home landlords.
2: Absolutely. It's not a, a picnic for us either. And then when we go to court or we have to go to court, uh, there are uh, guidelines where we have to hire an expensive attorney who charges three, four hundred dollars for a letter. It's not, you know, the idea that landlords are just making out like bandits is not true. Maybe the larger ones that have units of a hundred or fifty or whatever, but those of us who have small buildings, we don't have that option. And we have a long. It's very difficult to to evict someone, and uh, they can stay in the apartment rent free for months. And then we have to take them to court for the money, and we, and we may not even get it, ever. So, I mean, it's just, uh, and then for Section 8, and this is my final statement, you, you know, there's a shortage of affordable housing. You know why? Because Section 8 does not call, uh, allow their uh, tenants, uh, anyone that signed up under Section 8, to be held responsible for any of the repairs that they are responsible for. So if you have a Section 8 tenant who breaks the wall, takes off a knob off of a door, or does any harm to the apartment because of of negligence, they come and do an inspection. The landlord has to make that repair. They don't hold the tenant responsible. They They can tear the floors up. They can do anything wrong in that apartment. And the landlord is held responsible. So landlords like myself, who would, who, who really want to help the community, who wouldn't mind renting to a Section Eight person, is afraid to rent to one because we don't know if we're going to get a good one or a bad one, and we don't know if we're going to have to make all kinds of repairs to be held. Re- and then it's doubly hard to get rid of them. And if, if you have to make repairs, the repairs, repairs, because the tenant is 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 not a good tenant then you, it's all on you. And they'll hold back your rent until you make those repairs. And they do not at all hold the tenant responsible. So I want the public, I want BAI public to know it is not a walk in the park. It is not a, 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 a get-rich-tomorrow deal to be a landlord. And and it's really a nightmare. It can be a nightmare. And it can be profitable. But we get the bad, bad rap.
0: Okay, thank you for calling. You want to Um, add anything to that, Gracia, before we go to the next call?
1: Absolutely. Um, And those are the concerns we hear every day. What I would like to add is the courts have taken a step of creating what we call the small property part, right? Because of these concerns, um, because most of us landlord-tenant attorneys, we represent mostly small landlords, right? It's mostly small landlords in New York City. Um, so, um, uh, we, there has now been created a small property part where the cases are supposed to be, um, uh, fast tracked or at least, um, the court takes into account that this is a small property and that the adjournments need to be, um, uh, regulated so that the cases are not lasting and bankrupting long and, and bankrupting an attorney. In terms of the section eight comment, I, I, um, I'm, I'm not able to endorse any, um, Right, Section 8 tenants are good and you know, tenants, you know, folks have different personalities and come with pros and cons. What I'll say is when um I've represented many a good Section Eight tenant, what I'll say is this, right? Landlords who have Section Eight tenants, um, they 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 also most likely will get paid. So a lot of a lot of the market risk that landlords Take Well, Section 8 landlords during the pandemic were okay, right, because they were getting paid. So it's really um, the pros and the cons, right, of having the city or the feds pay the landlord in that you likely will usually get paid. Um, And that's the pro. That's one of the pros of um, at least the money part of, of being a Section 8 landlord.
0: Okay, let's go to another call.
1: BAI, you're on the air. Hey, Lenny, it's Russ. Hi. All right. Your guest is very
2: knowledgeable. I'd love to have her as an attorney. But what she said about uh, the small property section at the court, could the Rent Guidelines Bureau have a small property section? Because small landlords are used as shills by the corporate landlords in the city. And, I mean, it's no reflection on her, but that's what happens. I have a specific question, though. A friend of mine who's in a one-bedroom rent stabilized apartment on the Upper West Side is facing a 15% rent hike coming up, as you know. Uh, she's thinking of growing microgreen greens in the one bedroom and selling them to the restaurants on the Upper West Side. Now I know a residential setting is not a place for like a shoe factory or or noisy situation, but a low impact like growing microgreens in a bedroom, it's good for the climate. How would the courts view that? And I'll listen to the answer. Thank
1: you. Thank you for well, calling. Well, I'm not able to, <laughs> to give legal advice, right? I would. Um, I think it could go both ways, really, right? I think it could go both ways. I think if there's little traffic that um, that interrupts the, you know, the peace of the other neighbors, right, then it may not be um, detected at all, or it may be undetectable, just as in, you know, babysitting, right, children. Uh, but if it's creating traffic, if you're asking me, is that a permitted business in a residential place? Um, I'm not sure. Right. And i probably not the answer you want to hear. But um, ultimately, the more traffic that it creates, the more likely other tenants will complain, the more likely the landlord will take action. What I'll tell you from representing landlords is they don't want to be a lot of them don't want to be in court either. Right. They want to keep the peace. They want to get the rent paid and they, they don't want to disturb because it's very costly for them just as well. Right. So. Ultimately, I don't think much will happen from this business if there's not a lot of traffic going back and forth. In the worst, if they were to be hauled into court, court as they say, then um, there is a cure, right? The cure would be to remove the apparatus and to permit the landlord to do an inspection, and that should not lead to an eviction in the end.
0: Again, the number to call if you want to join this conversation is 212 209 7 7. That's 212 209 two one two 28 77. Let's take another call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Speak to Gracia Pierre Outerbridge. Are Hello? you there? Hello? Yeah, hi.
4: Can you, oh, I'm on.
0: Okay, good. It's you.
4: Uh, two parts. Uh, going back to the tenant's uh, permission for sublease, it implies to me that the landlord has the right of refusal. So So... That's one part of the thing. The second part is the whole issues of warehousing versus housing shortage. It seems to me that it's it, it's somehow correlated also with market rate rent, so that the landlords are burdened with high mortgages. You know, if they bought the building at the high part of the market and... There, there's also these REITs, these companies that are promising investors twelve percent, 10, twelve percent. So how does how, how does that work in terms of you know correlating with with the rent. But going back to the first question about subleases, mm-hmm. does, 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 does the landlord have the right of refusal?
1: Mm-hmm. So the statute is very and thank you for your question. the statute that's a statute that I really, really enjoy. If you can say enjoy right in the nerdy way, it's RP, RPL 226B, and it's very clear right that the landlord shall not unreasonably withhold consent. Right, so yes, the landlord does give consent, but unreasonably withheld, withholding is not permitted. Right, so there's there's thousands of cases about what constitutes unreasonable withdrawal, um, withholding, unreasonable mm-hmm. yeah. withholding of the right to sublease. Right. Um, if so the tenant, I, excuse,
4: me for excuse me for interrupting, but does that apply for small landlords as it does for really large ones? Because the small ones just seems to really suffer under this situation.
1: Yeah, so the statute talks about four or more residential units, right? That You need the right. permission for four or more residential units. You'll find that small landlords, uh, because most landlords will use a form lease, the lease will usually say it. So contractually, you're still going to need to ask for permission because it's contractually in the form lease that everyone uses, right? right. And I encourage I landlords to I encourage landlords to um, not use a form lease without really reviewing it because a lot of these provisions don't work for you, but for $10, they buy the form lease and they give it to the tenant. and then when, when push comes to solve, you realize that those provisions don't really work for you, right? So really review that form lease. But uh, unreasonable withholding has been seen if the tenant, the subtenant you're proposing, right, is um, financially stable, right? If they're not financially stable, then that can be seen as, hey, that's not a good subtenant. We don't want that sub because they're not going to pay, right? And we may be stuck with that person. But um, there are also timelines, right? It's a very, very... Interesting statute, right? Mm-hmm. Because the timelines have to be followed by the landlord, right? It talks about yeah. within 10 days of mailing, right? The landlord will um, reject, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at, see, I'm actually reading it right now. And whenever we do this type of consultation, I actually pull out the statute mm-hmm. because it's very specific as to what it needs. We, um, we have and very a lot little... Of pre-
0: Okay. We have, and okay, so we have very little time left. I thank you so much for your call. I don't think we're even going to be able to get all of the callers in, but let's see what we can do. Uh, let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air.
5: Hello. Yes, it's you. Hello. Yes. My name is Lisa. I'm from the Bronx, representing Go ahead. small landlords. I just wanted to ask a question about tenants who have subsidies. The, cl- the tenants have subsidies, and they sometimes have a portion to pay on their own, and they never pay it. So the landlord only receives the portion from the city and the state. So the client goes into arrears, and, mm-hmm. you know, a court process is ongoing. Mm-hmm. But it's just a revolving door. Mm-hmm. Is there mm-hmm. is there any... um? Uh, uh, repercussions for these tenants who get these subsidies and still end up in arrears because that's what the subsidy is for for them to mm-hmm. stay into the apartment but they don't pay the rent and then the advocates well, fight for them when they clearly don't want to pay rent they just want the subsidy to pay and it's not fair to the landlord
0: okay. Okay. Well, right. can, can you answer right. very quickly because I want, want to sneak one more call in. We have very understood. Little time.
1: So that your remedy, the remedy of the landlord is the same as any um, any non-paying tenant. That thirty percent is due from the tenant. So commencing a non-payment proceeding against the tenant for that third thirty percent is is the remedy.
0: Thank you so much for your call. Let's, can you make uh, BAI? You're on the air. Can you make it quick, please?
2: Hello. Yes. Hi. Good afternoon. I'm so glad you're having this conversation. God bless you for it, because a lot of us are really concerned.
0: Could you be quick, thought, please?
2: Yes, I thought the lady who talked before for the small landlords was disingenuous. On a street or dreary if the actual rent goes up because of an increase, the tenant doesn't pay the increase, the city does, I believe, and then it gets Deducted from their taxes, so it's not Correct. like they're suffering in any kind of way.
1: They're getting their money.
2: Altigracia, you
1: know, I agree. I agree. So I didn't address the part about the landlord getting the sub, the reduction in their in their taxes, but that's exactly how that cost is passed on once it's frozen.
0: Okay. Well, we're kind of out of time. Is there anything you want to add before we end this, Altigracia?
1: I would ask, I would suggest that all tenants who are facing eviction or receive any court papers, right, um, really use uh, um, the Right to Counsel program, right, that's available in the courthouse. If they're not able to take your case full on, they at least will give you what we call quick counseling Uh, My office is also available, right? Um, It's um, outerbridgelaw.com, right? Um, And we, um, the fight keeps going.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And, uh I guess uh, the situation is going to continue to be a problem uh, because uh, there are so many confusions as to what the, the rules are right now.
1: Correct. I agree. I agree. And that's 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 where I've been doing this for 15 years. And um, it hasn't really changed much in terms of the you know, the the, the sides being polarized. I mm. do think policy needs to change to bring both sides um Full common ground. Well, I
0: thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, Alegracia Pierre Outerbridge is the founder and owner of the New York City-based law firm Outerbridge Law PC. Uh, her practice is focused on landlord-tenant litigation and transactional matters. And it's been a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you, Leonard. Great, great speaking to you.
0: And that brings us to the end of our show. If you'd like to check out more about one-hour interviews on one subject, you can access our archive of over 800 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are are available. And if you'd like to reach me directly, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Right now, I have to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting WBAI as we struggle to pay our own rent during these difficult times. We've had real problems paying for our studio and for our broadcast tower, and uh, we've been in a precarious situation for a while, ever since the pandemic began. Uh, So we're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make A tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m you wouldn't have gotten this show on any other station. And uh, I hope you appreciate that. Again, the number, 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give to wbaiorg That's give and the number two wbai.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. Uh, we, uh, to do that, you agree to send in $10, 15 20 $25, however much you're comfortable with on a monthly basis as long as you want to do that. And it allows us to plan for the future and know that we're going to be able to pay the rent next month. Uh, we are offering uh, a WBAI tote bag to everyone who signs up to come, uh, a BAI buddy, for $10 a month or more. But either way, I hope You'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. If Lended Bit at Large is part of your daily routine, why not keep it going for someone who's just discovering it, okay? Uh, do- Give that call, 212-209-2950, or go online to give2wbai.org. To Help support independent radio. We are the only radio station in New York that is completely from independent that way. Uh, and uh, your support is tax-deductible. We hope you can join us again tomorrow. We'll see you then.